Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Hey, we are continuing our series, like I said, that we've been in the last few weeks called Alive in Us. Alive in Us. And throughout this series, here's the question um, that we've been pondering. It's this right here. How much does your life look like Jesus? How much does your life look like Jesus? So if we were to take, let's say, your desires and your thoughts and your actions and your motives, and we were to hold it up to the person of Jesus, how similar would they be? How much would they look alike? Now, I realize when you first hear this phrase, or maybe you just read that phrase, alive in us, it could conjure up a lot of different emotions, because that's not a phrase we hear unless it's kind of in some interesting situations of life. Like if you were a mom, there was a point in your journey where you were told, hey, there's something alive in you, and it brought about the emotion of joy. And then for nine months, you went through pregnancy and the birth of a new life. Now, some of us, we've been to the doctor before, and the doctor has told us, hey, there's something alive in you, like there's a virus or there's a bacteria and then all of a sudden you maybe have the emotion of fear because you're like well how am I going to get rid of this how long is it going to take what's the treatment going to look like and all of those emotions that come around that thought or if you're like my three-year-old son you've been told that if you eat your boogers they will turn into worms that will become alive in you okay and when that happens and you're told that the hope is that you are overcome with fear and you don't eat your boogers anymore okay It's Father's Day. I can do that. All right. I can go there. Okay. Don't act like you've never told your kids that before. Hey, this idea of something being alive in us, it brings up all these different types of feelings. But here's where we've been headed in this series. This is what we said that, hey, when a person exchanges their old life for new life to trust in Jesus for the life that is fully life. Here's what scripture says happens. The spirit of God becomes alive in you becomes alive in us. Now realize, this is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's a really powerful spirit. Like, there's not another spirit like that. But here's what we've said about that spirit when it becomes alive in us, is that it never leaves us the same. It never leaves us the same. Here's the foundational truth that all of this series has been built around, is that when Jesus is alive in us, there will always be a difference about us. When Jesus is really alive in us, there will always be a difference about us. And what we've been learning over these few weeks together is that we never, as a child, as a student, as adult, grandma, grandpa, put our faith in Jesus and stay the same. That's not how the equation works. And so what scripture has pointed us to is this word that we've unveiled over the last few weeks called sanctification. And we just put a really simple definition on this word, and this is the definition that we put on sanctification. It is a process of continually becoming like Christ. A process of continually becoming like Christ. So what does that mean? That means that when you put your faith in Christ, you spend the rest of your time on this earth having your desires, your passions, your purposes, your plans change to align them with the person of Jesus. Why? Because God's spirit is alive in us. And when Jesus is alive in us, there is something different about us. If you got a copy of scripture, let's go Romans chapter 6. It's where we've been the last couple of weeks. And we will be there today and one more week next week. Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a copy, uh, whether it's a hard copy or digital copy with you, we'll put it on the screen just for you to track along um, with me today. 
Like week one, here's what we looked at. We looked at four ways to become more like Jesus. Um, last week, we looked at seven verses, and we looked at four ways to overcome the power of sin in our life. We all battle that issue, and so we talked about four ways to overcome that. If you missed either one of those, they're both on the podcast. You can jump on there and grab those. But here's what we're going to do today. Here's how I kind of want to break it down for it to make sense and outline it today. We're going to look at a truth that we must all face, um, a choice that we all have to make, um, and an action that we all should take, and finally, a result that we can all experience. So a truth, there'll be a choice, there'll be an action, and finally, there will be a result. So let's jump in. Romans 6, verse 15. This is exactly where we left off um, last week. Paul says this. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means? So first, as we kind of read that verse, we see that he asks a two-word question. He says, what then? So we have to try to figure out what are you asking that question about? Well, to do that, we got to kind of rewind to last week. And if you weren't here last week, here's where we landed last week. We landed with when you choose to receive Christ, you receive grace in place of the law. You would choose grace or you receive grace in place of the law. In other words, when we realize that Jesus has loved us through the cross and through the empty tomb, we begin to realize that we no longer have to do the hard work of trying to earn our way back to God. Instead, we let go of the hard work and we rest in the work that Jesus has done for us. That he has done on our behalf. All right, for some of you, that's how you survived group work in high school and college. Let somebody do the work on your behalf. You know how it works, okay? You got in the smart people group. You're like, yeah, I know what they make. I know what grades they And I'm in that group. All right, and I'm just going to sit back. Yeah, I agree. Y'all go ahead and do that, and then I'll receive that grade that you got, okay? I'm not going to call you out, but you know who you are, all right? And that's how you survive group work in high school and college, all right? And it's kind of in the same vein with grace where Jesus stepped in and through the cross and through the tomb, he did the hard work for us. So no longer do we have to walk in the law, but now we rest in the grace that he has given us on our behalf. So here's the question that we've all had to honestly face at the beginning of every one of these passages in Romans 6 is, have you really received the grace of Jesus? Not have you been a good churchgoer, not have you tried to live a good life, not did grandma and grandpa grow up in church, not was daddy a deacon and mom a Sunday school teacher, but if you personally, in your pursuit of God, in your journey of life, have you received the grace of Jesus into your life? Because if you have, then Paul asks a follow-up question. He's good with these questions. Here's what he says um, in verse 15. We'll read it again. He says, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Now, if you were here in week one of this series, you're going like, hold on, that question sounds really, really similar to a question that he asked that we addressed at the very beginning of the series. And you are right. It sounds really, really similar. Here's what he wrote in Romans 6 verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, when you first read these questions, you're like, that's the same question. Like, Paul's just being redundant. But when you dig a little bit deeper into some of the original meanings there, you realize that it's totally different meanings. Here's what this means. In verse 1, Paul is posing the question of, if you've received grace, should you go on in sin? Should you continue in sin? So Paul's kind of talking about a continual habit of sin. Now, fast forward to verse 15 that we just read a second ago, and what he's looking at here is specific acts of sin. So here's Paul saying, hey, if I'm in Christ and I've received grace, is it okay for me to consciously, occasionally sin? 
Is it okay for me to consciously, occasionally sin? It's not this continual habit from verse 1, but it's kind of this idea of just dabbling in sin every once in a while. Now, here's, here's how some people might ask it today. This is what some things people might say. Hey, uh, is it okay if I sin just a little bit? Like just, like, just a little bit. Or, hey, if forgiveness is really as easy and as wide open as Scripture talks about, if God's, like, really all-loving, we just talked about Him being a good Father, um, and if His grace is large enough to cover all sins, which is true, but if all those things are in place, I mean, does it really matter that much if maybe I journey into this for a little bit? Or if I choose this in my life? Or maybe some people would say, hey, why not do what I want from time to time? Like, isn't it all going to be the same in the end? And what Paul knew was he knew that his readers were thinking this way, that they were looking for loopholes in this idea of grace. And so he poses this question not only in verse 1, but yet again in verse 15. And then his response, if you look at it, is just as emphatic, just as quick as it was in verse 1. And he says, no, by no means, absolutely not, absolutely not. And what Paul says is, hey, in Christ, it's not that we throw morality to the wind, but instead we exchange our pursuit of sin for a pursuit of righteousness. And here's the truth. Here's the truth in verse 15 for our passage today that we all have to face is this right here. Grace is not a license to sin, but a freedom to obey. Grace is not a license to sin, but rather it's a freedom to obey. Now, my prayer is that hopefully we all get to the place where we choose grace in our life and we know the joy and the freedom over sin. But what we have to realize is that our old life of sin and self still has power. It's still there and it's still trying to tempt us and grab us and pull us back under its reign. We realize that even though it is true that Jesus becomes alive in us and he is all that we need. There's a temptation that we all face to kind of strike some form of a compromise or a balance. And here's kind of what this looks like in many people's lives, at least as I've witnessed, is that we, we trust God, we lean into God in the big areas of life. Like when something really goes wrong, okay, like man, divorce happened or it looks like it's about to happen. The kid went crazy. I don't know how to manage them. Job went bad. So-and-so passed away. Like this is difficult. So I run back to God. So I try to lean into Jesus. So I show back up at church, okay? And we, we lean into him in that moment. But then in all the other areas of life, we just slide on those old comfortable slippers of the sinful nature because we're like, man, that, that kind of feels a little better. And we try to strike this balance and this compromise. And what Paul says here is, no, 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 that's not how it works. No, that's not how it works. When you choose Christ, it's an all-out, all-in pursuit of righteousness. Why? Well, because of the grace that you have been given. We've all been given grace. And I think grace can best be defined as God's unmerited favor. It's his unmerited favor. It's the love and forgiveness of God that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, we didn't ask for, that cost God the greatest price but gave us the greatest gift. That is the power of grace. And when you really begin to realize that and understand that, it will actually turn off your flesh to the old sinful nature. And you go, that's not who I am anymore. That's not what I need to live for. And when you understand that, you'll realize that following Jesus is no longer about I have to, but it is about I get to out of what Jesus has done for me and in me. So rewind back to Paul's question in verse 15. 
that for us to sit there and ask that question that would it be okay for me to jump into this every once in a while? Would it be okay for me to allow this into my life just occasionally? is not really reflective of a heart that has fully received the grace of Jesus. Okay, so here's the truth. We all have to face it. Grace is not a license to sin, but it's a free gift, an incredible gift, God's best gift that is a freedom to obey. It gives us the choice to obey. Now look back um, to see our choice. Verse 16, here's where we left off. Paul says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So first we encounter this truth that grace is not a license to sin, but a freedom to obey. Here's the choice that everybody faces. To live as a slave to sin or a slave of obedience. We all face that choice. Paul says every single day we have the choice on whether we'll be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. And some of you are going like, hold up, all the slave stuff. Like I thought all that ended. We learned about that in history class. That's over. Okay, no, 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 no. no. Here's, here's what scripture is very, very clear that every day we live as a slave to something. Here's what scripture says. 2 Peter 2 verse 19. He says, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Catch this. Here it is. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Scripture says, whether we realize it or not, we will all live as slaves to something. In other words, every day there's a continual choice to go, am I going to be a slave to sin? Am I going to be a slave to obedience that leads to righteousness? Let's do it this way. All right, let's walk through maybe a typical average day for a, a person in our culture. Let's face it, okay? Alarm clock goes off. What's the first thing that many people do? All right, I'm telling you what's the first thing that many people do, and that is that you reach over to the nightstand and you pull this bad boy up and you hop on your social media platform of choice. Why? Because perhaps in the six hours that you've been asleep, just all drama has broken loose in your social circle, and you got to make sure all is still intact. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know who you are, okay? And so let's say you hop on your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever your little snappy chat choice is, and you hop on there, and all of a sudden you see that so-and-so posted something. And inside of you, you're like, I don't really like what they posted on there. I think they may have even been targeting me with what they posted on there. Or you see a picture that so-and-so posted, and they're out doing something crazy that you knew they shouldn't be doing. And you... So guess what? In that choice, you have a chance to be a slave to sin or slave to obedience. You can unload on them, comment on their post, fire it back indirectly at them. You can comment on that picture. You crazy and just blast them in front of everybody else. Or you can choose to be silent and bite your proverbial social media tongue. What are you going to be? Slave to sin, slave to obedience. Okay, so we leave the bedroom. We walk into the kitchen. There's our spouse in the kitchen. And let's just be really honest. Last night did not end well. We did not go to sleep happy with each other. They pressed our button. They ticked us off. We went to sleep in anger, and we woke up, and guess what you got again? You got another choice to be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. Starting the day, in the kitchen. You haven't even talked to anybody yet, and you can do what? You can either give your spouse the cold shoulder, give them the silent treatment, light into them, tell them what you think about them, or what's the other option? You can choose obedience to give grace, to realize they're not perfect, and to start the day with mercy. See, another choice to be slave to sin or slave to obedience. You make it out of breakfast in one piece. You get to work, all right? And the boss walks into the office and he goes, hey, here's this new rule. Here's this new regulation that we're laying out today. 
And you're like, that is dumb. Like, that, no way. That doesn't make sense. That's not good. I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk that out. And guess what you're presented with yet again? The choice to be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. So you can talk about your boss behind his back, rebel against his authority, not carry out the rule or the regulation that he put in place. Or you can take a deep breath and go, you know what, I'm going to submit to his leadership, to her leadership over me. I'm going to walk it out even though I don't fully understand it. Slave to sin, slave to obedience. Let's fast forward, end of the day. You made it home, kids are in bed, praise Lord. All right, you sit on the couch, remote in hand, maybe even your spouse went to bed and it's just like, oh, I got 30 minutes of me time, come on, Okay. Not saying that ever happens. Sometimes it does at my house, all right? And you got remote in hand, and here's what the choice is. Yet again, to book in the day, slave to sin or slave to obedience. You can choose in that moment to subject yourself to images and thoughts and entertainment that fills your mind with impurity, or you can still entertain yourself, still check out, but to do it in such a way that it keeps your mind and your heart pure. Every day, we're slave to something. And Paul says every day we have the choice to be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So that's the choice that, guess what, we all have to make every single day. It's a daily choice. And even if you are in Christ, realize this, the sinful nature still exists. Now, we found the power in Christ that we talked about last week that's greater than the power of sin in our life, but it's a daily battle to choose that obedience. That's why Jesus said, hey, to follow me, you take up your cross. What did he say? Daily. In other words, it's a daily dying to the old self to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. No longer a slave to sin. I'm going to live as a slave to obedience and righteousness. And here's the tough reality. We have to admit, fellas, on our day today, our Father's Day, we have to admit our flesh is really weak, okay? Uh, about a month ago, my wife was introduced to, I'll leave the name brand out, but a, a version of meal replacement shakes. She was introduced to those by some ladies within the exchange family. Thank you very much. You know who you are. <laughs> a few days after she found out about them, she shows up to the office here um, with one of those shakes that did taste really good. And she goes, hey, babe, how would you think about doing a three-day challenge with me where we're going to drink two shakes a day for or two shakes a day and we'll eat one meal a day? Now, let's just be full out disclosure, okay? We were in May, we were right in the middle of the Family Matters series, and I had just looked at you guys and gone, hey, guess what? You need to submit to every member of the family. You need to serve your spouse, okay? So in this moment, guess what I get, all right? I get the chance to either practice what I preach or rebel against what I just looked at you and told you you needed to do, all right? I have to live this stuff out too. So in that moment, I went, yeah, babe, absolutely. What can I do to help, all right? And so I'm there. And so I gave in. And we drank two shakes a day for three days. They ate one meal a day. And I realize you may not be able to tell it by looking at me, but this boy likes to eat, okay? We do it regularly at my house. Like, it's a pattern in my life. And can I just be full-on honest with you? I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I thought, thought I was going to die. Like, I brought my little baggie of snacks to work. and have a little nuts and berries and a little piece of ham in there. And like, 1030, you got to eat this. You got to eat this so that you'll make it to 12. And I'm like, that's not a meal. My belly wants a meal, all right? I thought I was going to pass out. Guess what? After the three days, I didn't croak. I didn't. Shakes actually tasted really good. And you know what? I even felt better after the three days. 
But you know what I was reminded of over those three days? My flesh is really, really weak. My desires are strong. And many times I am lorded over. I'm led by my desires and my flesh. And Paul says, hey, it's the same way when you follow Christ. It's a daily battle of the sinful nature and our flesh is weak. So what do we do, Paul? What are we going to do? Daily, you got to infuse that weak flesh with the power of the spirit that's alive in you. That's how you overcome it. And here's how Paul ends verse 16. He ends it by clearly saying, everybody's serving a master and each master has a direct result. Sin leads to death. But obedience leads to righteousness. So sin may be pleasurable for a season. It might feel good for a season. But in the end, it leads to death. Obedience, on the other hand, may be really difficult for a season. But in the end, it leads to righteousness and life. So there's a truth that grace is not a license to sin, but a freedom to obey. Choice, we all got to make it. Are you going to live as a slave to sin? Are you going to live as a slave to obedience? Go back to where we left off, verse 17. Here's what Paul says to the church at Rome. He says, but thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So we've seen the truth. We pose the question of you choosing sin or obedience. And here's the action that we should all take. And that is a change of heart. Change of heart. So Paul poses this question in verse 16 of, hey, what master will you serve? And then he affirms the readers in Rome. He affirms those Christ followers in Rome and anybody who would come after, who would choose obedience. He says, you guys are getting it right. You got it right. You chose obedience. Even when it wasn't easy, you chose obedience. And so then he kind of starts digging into, like, why did you do this? How did you do this? I don't know, maybe maybe Paul had a little counselor in him, and he's digging in. And here's what he says first. He says, you have come to obey from your heart from your heart. In other words, true obedience always starts in the heart. And when Paul talks about this obedience from the church at Rome, he's not talking about like some robotic program thing where they just did exactly what he said. No, he says these are people who've been overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. And man, out of that, they're just responding. You know, God's birthed in them a new heart, a change of heart. And out of that, they are obeying and they're knowing the joy of that. Um, as I said, we have a three-year-old son at my house, and we are neck deep um, in discipline that, in the end, is supposed to lead towards obedience. Um, it is a little bit. So we're fully learning, like, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, uh, not to talk back, to do exactly what we're told to do, when we're told to do it, with the right attitude, like, this is obedience. And let's just be fully honest, because, like, you, some of you have hung out with him. We don't always get it right. Okay, it's a day-to-day, sometimes hour-by-hour, sometimes minute-by-minute struggle. It's a fight. But can I tell you what? Can I tell you what one of the greatest joys as a dad is right now in my life is to watch my son obey. Not because he just got a whipping and a talking to, and so now I better straighten up. That happens. But when he looks at my wife or he looks at me and he obeys out of respect and love in his heart. And Paul says, hey, guess what? It's the same way in this journey of following Jesus Obedience should not be a have to, but it's a get to in Christ. And it's not just about modifying our behavior out of some obligation because that's what the preacher said or because I don't want to be appear this way to so-and-so or to my parents or to my family or whatever. But it's about, man, I'm overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus and I got to change a heart and I'm just going to do things differently because that's who I am now. That's obedience. But then Paul looks at 
what helped lead to this change of heart. And here's what he says next. He says, you've come to obey from your heart. And here it is, the pattern of teaching. You came to obey the pattern of teaching. Or your version uh, may read, some versions read, the form of doctrine. In other words, these believers' hearts had changed because they had interacted with the Word of God. Like Paul fully believed that the reading and the teaching of God's Word had the power to change someone's heart. So he says, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Here's what Paul writes, 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. In other words, take the teaching and keep coupling it with the love. Keep coupling it with the faith so that you become more like Jesus. This is why every single week when we gather together, someone stands right here in this spot and communicates the word of God to us. Because we believe that accurate teaching of God's word is what leads to heart change. And as the exchange, I told you earlier, we value, one of our core values is that we exchange ideas for truth. Here's what we know. We live in a world with a million ideas about how to do life about how to have the life that is really life. You don't believe me? Go to the bookstore. Go to the self-help section, okay? Hop on Facebook. Just see what articles are trending. 12 ways to do this. Five ways to change this about you, okay? Keep running with it for a little while, but I'm telling you, there's only one truth. There's only one absolute truth. God's Word is very clear. That's the power of what God speaks through the life of His Word. But this is why we also have to give the warning to ourselves. Scripture gives it to us to beware of the people and the teachers that you listen to. Because if you're just leaning in to listen to somebody that's only telling you things you like and it never challenges you and never changes you, can I just be straight up with you? Chances are it may not be the truth because you're just listening to what's easy. And scripture calls us out. It says 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3, for the time will come. When people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Here's verse four. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul says there is a day coming and perhaps is even here where people will only long for what's easy. And that's why. As this house, we have a commitment to teach and to chew on what's easy and what's not so easy. Because we believe that the power and the truth of this book is what has the power to open eyes and change hearts. And so every week when someone stands right here to communicate the truth of God's word, it's not just to impart information to you. Now, we hope you gain knowledge about God's word, but we give you truth and information that ultimately hopefully leads to life transformation. But here's, here's the tension, okay? We've got to continually be shaped and not occasionally shaped. Here's what I mean by that. We now live in a culture where, unfortunately, a vast majority of people think that they have to show up to a certain church building at a certain time on a certain day of the week to listen to a certain person who doesn't put them to sleep, maybe makes them laugh a little bit, speaks a couple of hard things, but majority of happy, fun things, and that's how they intake the Word of God. Can I just say to you, like, I love the fact that you show up here every single week. I love that. And I pray that we never, ever, 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 ever stop inviting more people to be a part of what God's doing here. And if you're brand new today, man, welcome to the house. Thanks for being here, okay? I'm talking a little bit to the family now, but thanks for being here. We love the fact that new people show up. And we will never, ever, 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 ever stop doing this right here because we believe it's fully obedient to God's word. But let me say this. If you are only depending 
on one little 30, 35 minute segment of your week where someone imparts to you the truth of God's word and that's the only intake you have of it, you're not doing it quite right. Okay, let me help you think of it like this, okay? When you leave here today, all right, and, and you're going to go to lunch and maybe dad's with you or you're going to meet dad or whatever and you're going to like the steakhouse or maybe it's just happy meals for dad and everybody at the family, okay? Or mama's cooking and, and you're going to do it that way, okay? When you go to Sunday lunch, do you just go and eat one really big Sunday lunch like double stuffing cheeseburgers, okay? And then you don't eat ever again until next Sunday at lunch? Not at my house. I'm eating by Sunday night. Like sometimes I'm snacking on Sunday afternoon. Why? Because I got to have that inside of me. And scripture says it's the same way. We have to be continual consumers of God's word. Why? Because that's what changes us. It's when that truth rubs up against our life that we begin to change our heart and we begin to become more like Jesus. So what I'm telling you today is Figure out a way to do that. Make it bite-sized, like read a chapter a day. Read the same chapter for an entire month. Go buy a devotional book that you can read in five minutes. I mean, download a free app that has a reading plan that dings you every day at 7.30 in the morning that goes, hey, guess what? It's time to eat. Like, I didn't need that for breakfast, but I do need that for this truth that's going to shape me that has the power to change my heart. Because here's what... Here's what Paul's saying through this verse. The the original words here in verse 17, this idea of the form of doctrine, that idea of form actually refers to a melting of metal that is then shaped and it takes on a certain impression. And Paul says, hey, whenever you encounter the word of God consistently and openly, right? I like this. Whenever you encounter the word of God consistently and openly, it shapes and it forms your heart and your mind to become more like Jesus which is the whole reason for sanctification in the first place. All right? So it's the truth that we all got to face. Grace, not a license to sin, freedom to obey. Choice, we all got to make. Slave to sin, slave to obedience. And what's the action that we all should take? Should be a change of heart. Let's go back. Last part, last verse. Verse 18. He says, you have been set free from sin. In other words, they chose obedience. They changed their heart. He says, you've been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. Here's the final thing that Paul gives us. I told you there's a result at the end of it all. Here's the result. Freedom. Freedom. Paul says the Christians at Rome had a choice to choose sin or obedience. They chose obedience. They allow God's word to interact with their life. It changed their heart. And as a result of that, they found freedom. So here's what we got to understand. This, this decision to follow Jesus, to become a slave to obedience and righteousness like we talked about a while ago, it is a voluntary decision. Change of heart cannot be forced on us. Your spouse can't force it on you. Parents, you can't force it on your kids. Kids, you can't force it on your parents. It's not my role or anybody in our church family's role to force that on you. We don't just automatically give in to the desires of Jesus. It is a continual process of becoming like Christ. Dedication to Jesus' lordship and leadership in our life is not automatic. And hear me clearly, if someone fails to really step into that and really make Jesus leadership, leader and lord over their life, they will battle the power of sin. Sin will rule you as long as you want it to. But when you choose Jesus, when there's a freedom and a joy given that nothing of this world can offer. Over the last couple of weeks, I've gotten 
the opportunity to sit down with people that we're going to celebrate next week as they take the next step of faith through believer's baptism. These are people who have been changed by the power of Jesus. And man, it's so awesome. that I mean, it's men, women, children, students, all different varieties of people. And all of these meetings with all these different people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds and all different stories, they all have this little common theme. They all use this similar language. They don't know it. But when you hear it over and over, it, it sounds something like this. They say things like, you know what, I feel like the weight of the world has been lifted off of me. They say, hey, you know, I've never, ever felt this way before. They say, I, n- I never knew that I had, there's that kind of joy and that kind of peace available for me. Like I've run from it for so long, but oh man, this is like nothing ever before. And I get, I get the opportunity to look at them and go, that's freedom. That's freedom. That's the joy of being free in Christ. And here's what Paul says, Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you, what did he say? Free from the law of sin and death. See, Jesus Christ has removed the chains of sin and bondage. He destroyed them. He rendered them powerless. And then he signed us over to the opportunity of life eternally with him. But here's the unfortunate reality. We live in a world where there are people in this room today, in your family that you'll go home to today, or in your social circles, who refuse to accept the freedom that Jesus is offering. And it's as if they're sitting in the prison cell Chains unbound, the doors wide open, but they can't see past them all their own selves to see the freedom that's offered on the other side. Man, what a tragedy. One of the scholars kind of dove into this idea of slave as we just talked about a slave of righteousness. And he said, um, in this time, a slave was considered a lot more than an employee. And so here's how a slave was defined four different ways. It was one who was born into a condition of slavery. Perhaps you were born to the parents who are slaves. One who was, whose will was swallowed up in the will of another. It was one who was bound to the master with bounds that only death could break. We said that a few weeks ago. For some people, the only way to get out of slavery was to die. And the final way to define a slave was one who served his master to the disregard of his own interest. So with that understanding, we transfer that over to what Paul's saying about us being a slave to sin. And we realize this is the description that we all carried at one time or another. We were born as slaves to sin. I don't have to teach my boy me or mine. We come out that way. Our will was swallowed up and captive to the will of sin within us. It's a daily battle. Our bondage to sin was so strong that only death, spiritually dying with Jesus on the cross, could break the bondage. And we were so enslaved to sin that we served it to the disregard of our own interest, even when sin destroyed us. In other words, sin was a horrible master, but we kept going back to work for him. We've all been there. That's who we were in sin. But here's the beautiful picture of a life that is fully surrendered to Christ and becomes a slave to righteousness. We are born again in Christ, now as slaves to righteousness. Our will is now swallowed up in the will of God, and it is His will that matters to us, not our own. 
We are bound to Jesus with bonds that only death can break. Oh, but since he has triumphed over death and given us eternal life, those bonds will never be broken. We are eternally unified with Christ. And so what is our response out of that? Now we willingly serve Jesus to the disregard of our own interests. In other words, it's no longer about me, but it's about the joy and the liberty and the freedom of following you. It's a truth that we all face. Grace is not a license to sin, but it's a freedom, free gift to know the joy of obedience. So here's the choice that we all got to make. What are you choosing to, to live as a slave to? A slave to sin or a slave to obedience? Daily choosing. Have you allowed God's word and the truth of who Jesus is to change your heart? And if you have, then and only then, can you know and experience and live in the joy and the freedom that is only found in Christ? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.